millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. We're back. Yeah. It's great to be back, Desi. <laughs> yeah. I was starting to not know what to do with myself. We, we're, we're sort of struggling to get back in the groove. Mentally. I mean, a little bit. Mentally, I struggled writing this episode. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. So please be nice. Yeah. They're always so nice. <laughs> Should I do Patreon? You do Patreon. How? I mean, are we just going to do some of them? Or, yeah, because you know? there's a lot. We obviously have a lot of um, people who subscribed in July. Thank you. Thank you. We, we did finally post for July at the at the very last day, so that is all up there. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining this past month. I'll start and I'll go till it seems like crazy. Okay. And then we'll get the rest in the next few weeks. Sounds good. Um, if you would like to subscribe to the bonus content and ad-free episodes, you can do that at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. I'm going to put a link in our show notes. I've started doing that. <clears throat> oh, wow. Like a real professional. Okay, that's great. Yeah. So in the past month, we had Melissa, Brandon, Kay, uh, Jessica, Nikki, Smidgen, Smidgen Dublin. I don't know if that matters. Uh, Nico, Natalie, Junkyard Honey, Nicole, Angelique, Jen, Adam, uh, Kara, Claire, Emily, uh, Anissa, Ceylon, Nick, Molly, Clark, Samantha, Michael, Pube. Pube. <laughs> I hope that, I'm saying that right. That, no, that person just wanted us to say pube. Okay. Well, we said it. I hope you uh, get off on that. <laughs> Maybe that's their real name and I'm saying it wrong. But oh, it that's is spelled terrible. It is spelled P U B E. So, in I, my defense, that is how we spell pube. Maybe it's pube. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, you got a little extra um, attention there. Uh, Mauricio, Stephanie, Olivia, Destiny, Kristen, Hannah, Kenya, Jen, Melanie, Amy, Natalie, Tia, Christine, Adeline, Lizzie, Shay, Sarah, Robert, Lavish, Teresa, Luke, Sharar, Tracy, Mel. And that's it. That's where I'm going to stop. Okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you guys. so much for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And we hope you enjoy all the bonus content and ad-free episodes. Yeah. And Melon says thank you too, if you can hear him. Thanks for the snacks. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You are helping pay for Melon's <laughs> snacks and treats. So thank you. Now, this was very requested to do more Chateau Marmont. Yeah. Content. People were mad when you stopped. Well, we had to do Model May. That's right. We it was going right into Model May, which was my poor planning on my part. Right. But you know but what? That's good. I realized in the old days of this show, we did like a Disneyland two Disneyland episodes way spaced apart. Yeah. We used to do it like that. We used to do some two parters. So this is well, since, especially like stories. 
where they're not like one linear story, but it's like little bits and pieces yeah. thrown together. Like we're not going to do Richard Ramirez part one in 2022 and then do part two like the following year. That's no, not going to no happen. No one's waiting for that. No, <laughs> They're going to go listen to another podcast <laughs> to find out what happened. <laughs> so my main source for this episode just disappeared. Where is it? Leave this in. It's a book by Sean Levy. It's called The Castle on Sunset, Life, Death, Love, Art, and Scandal at Hollywood's Chateau Marmont. And I also used a lot of old newspaper articles. Yeah. So uh, what we talked about in part one of Chateau Marmont is it's beginnings in the early days from the 1920s all the way up until the end of the 1950s. Right. So in this episode, we're going to be covering the 60s to the early 80s. Good. Should be should be some good stories. We got some stories. And also, as I was writing this, I realized there's the potential for a lot of other episodes about other stuff. So oh, I'll, good. I'll get to that. Okay. By 1963... The Chateau Marmont owner, Erwin Brettauer, sold the property to real estate developer William Weiss. The chateau would actually be sold and bought again a few more times over the next few years. Right. Like, this hotel changed ownership a lot. One-time owner Guilford Glazer said this of his short time owning the property, We added some touches and upgraded to some extent, but it became a pain in the neck. I poured a lot of money into the place, but it became an expensive project and a losing proposition. So he sold it in 1965. Meanwhile, the Sunset Strip had exploded into a destination for young people. Gone were the days of old Hollywood glamour. In was rock and roll, discotheques, and go-go dancers. Mm. And a lot of kids... Flocking on that. There wasn't this like white tablecloth dining vibe anymore or cocktail no. lounge. It was like they want a tin tray to do lines on. Well, this is before cocaine. <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, it's always cocaine. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is. Oh, I would say this, this before is, cocaine seventies. This is before Coke era. So this is still 60s. This is the mid-60s, and this is when the youth culture is exploding. So they're doing more psychedelics. Or not even yet. I don't know. I'll ask my mom tomorrow what she was doing in 1965. Yeah. So, but it's like popping on the strip with a lot of young people. Teenagers flocked to the area where they enjoyed live music and dancing. The area was Mecca for counterculture, hippies, and young people who liked to party. It was fun as hell. It looks fun. I'm sure it was a lot of fun. Now, this is where I realized... Oh, my mom just texted me. Should I ask her? What <laughs> drugs were you doing in 1965? Well, because this, this would be like when the doors are starting up. Or I guess that's a little later. Yeah. But it's that environment that it's, they're sprouting out of still. Yeah, it's like times are changing. Yeah. The culture's changing in America, and it's a very youth-driven culture at this time. So this made me realize we have to do an episode... On the Sunset Strip riots. Oh, yeah. I think we talked about that. Yeah. Did we? Yeah. Did we? Do, we didn't do an episode. Maybe we no, talked. All right. I well, then we, let's It came not. up at some point. No, you should. Why wouldn't we? We didn't do it. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, 
See, we're not we're very rusty right now. Yeah. My brain is like oatmeal. So by 1966, the city imposed a strict 10 p.m. curfew in the area, prompting protests and eventually sparking the Sunset Strip riots and soon leading to a 21 and over rule for many of the Strip's nightclubs. Because before they had all these like places that served alcohol, but teens could go because there was live music there. Wait, I think that this is the genesis, the Sunset Riot, um, Sunset Strip riots were the genesis for that song Stop by Stephen Stilt or whatever. Stills. Buffalo Springfield. Yeah, but he wrote it, the guy Stephen Stills. Yeah. Because remember when he did it with Billy Preston at the Emmys? It was really weird during COVID. Wait, he did it during COVID? He said he did a duet with Billy Porter, but they weren't together. But they filmed it and spliced them together. I'm sorry. I, I don't know why I'm having that memory. I don't even. Because <laughs> it really stuck with me. Because I was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that song, we, you always assume that that song's about the Vietnam War, but it was actually about this. It was actually, yeah. about, it was written, that song, Stop, Hey, What's That Sound? Everyone yeah. look what's going around. I like when... Um, in the late 90s when Public Enemy sampled it for He Got oh, Game. Oh, right, right, yeah. I love that song. It's a good thing to sample. It's a great little sample. Yeah. So anyway, but that's what that song was about. And when we do our episode... We'll get more into it. We'll get into it. And we'll do the Billy Preston. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll do a recreation. We'll, re- we'll recap the video for um, a bonus or something. That sounds great, Desi. So throughout the late 60s and 70s, the Strip continued to be a destination for musicians. The newly opened hotels on the Strip, like the Sunset Marquee and the Hyatt House, became havens for touring rock bands and the wild parties they brought with them. That's not to say that musicians weren't staying at the Chateau at this time. It's just that these newer hotels were more easily accessible to groupies and fans. Yes. Because the Chateau is like tucked away. It is. And you have to kind of walk uphill. No one and, wants to do that. <laughs> and nobody wants to walk uphill in their shoes. Their go-go boots. Their go-go boots. <laughs> They're going to slip. Those things are always very slippery. That hill is stressful to walk up. It's not that it's a long walk. It's just very steep. It's very steep. Yeah. Yeah. Also, these hotels seem to have a more lax policy about publicly degenerate behavior. Ooh. So it was like, even though like degenerate stuff was happening within the confines of the chateau, it was just more outwardly displayed. Yes. And probably like just seemed like way more of a rager destination. Right. To go to these spots. Led Zeppelin would apparently book six floors of the Hyatt House when they stayed there. One of their more memorable stays included John Bonham riding a motorcycle through the hallways. Oh. Now that's usually that story is usually falsely attributed to him riding a motorcycle through the chateau, but it was actually oh, it was the Hyatt House. Okay, the well, Hyatt, Hyatt House just doesn't sound <laughs> well. It became known as the Riot House. Oh, that sounds better. Yeah, Alice Cooper. <laughs> Alice Cooper apparently liked to play naked football at the hotel. Oh. These are among the countless tales of debauchery that occurred at this infamous hotel. So I was like, we need to do a whole episode yeah. on, the, on the Riot House yes. and the Sunset Marquee. Friend of the pod, Dave Navarro, said this about the Sunset Strip hotels. Oh. He Obviously, he said this much later, probably yeah. in the 90s or 2000s, but he said... 
For some reason, behavior at the chateau that would end up in the tabloids, you take that same behavior and go over to the marquee, and you're pretty much right as rain. I've been escorted off that property a number of times and then allowed back the following night. Just a little light tap on the wrist. <laughs> yeah, so that's the vibe. Yeah. You're like, all right, it was a little too crazy We need to stop it that night, but, but you're back. welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> In 1969, one of the Chateau's residents was stabbed in his room. <gasps> uh, that's not a good transition. Yeah, that's not fine. That's not, <laughs> that deserves a harsh punishment. One of the residents was stabbed in his room during an argument. This is at the Chateau. 44-year-old Eric Scott was involved in the production of the musical Hair. Okay. And he had been staying at the Chateau. He got into an argument with 23-year-old Donald Arthur Teague, who was also staying at the hotel. Teague wasn't involved with Hare. Hare would make a statement later. They're like, this guy was not involved in our musical. But these two men were apparently working on another musical together. So Scott, the guy who got stabbed, he accidentally erased a five-hour-long audio tape that Teague had made, which caused him to fly into a rage and stab Scott in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Damn. Like, when he came back to his room and discovered that this, like, tape that he had worked on was erased, Eric Scott, uh, apparently, according to him, laughed, was like, oops, and laughed, and he was not happy about that. He's like, you think you're so cool with your hair musical? This musical is not good enough for you. How do you like being stabbed? You think you're cool, too cool <laughs> to get stabbed with scissors? He also attacked him with a chair. Damn. Then he attempted to flee the hotel, but he was arrested in the lobby. That's fast. So it was short lived. Yeah. Actor Richard Harris managed to get kicked out of the chateau. He returned back to the chateau one night at 2 a.m. after a night of drinking on the strip. He was so drunk that he started wandering the halls and pounding on all the doors of the other guests and screaming that there was a nuclear attack. That's a golden age of um, drunken British actors. Yeah. Yeah, and he's a famous drunken one. So he was yelling, they've dropped the bloody bomb. Wow. And none of the guests appreciated that. I mean, that's scary being woken up at 2 a.m. Yeah. When you're like, are we... And it sounds attacked. more real because it's a British guy. What? <laughs> it's like more authoritative. Yeah, it's more... Um, like a documentarian or something. Yeah, it's more official sounding. Totally. Like it's he, not like you're like, hey guys, the bomb's coming or something. He right. probably made it sound very real. He's a good actor. He's a very good actor. <laughs> yeah. So that's terrifying. But they kicked him out. He was done. Wow. Forever? Forever. Damn. He's like one of the only people in my research at this time, during this time of all the rock stars that were kicked out of the chateau. That's punk rock. (laughs) Right? Yeah. He's like, oh, Led Zeppelin, you think you're so cool? You would never guess him if you were like, who was the one person who got kicked out of the chateau of Marmont in the late 60s? Right. No one would say Richard Harris. (laughs) (laughs) But he managed to do it. I mean, that is like a... That's like a badge of honor. Yeah. Conversely, Jim Morrison had to leave the Hyatt in 1970 for his antics. So he got kicked out of the Hyatt. Oh, so that's the worst. That's the hardest one to get kicked out of, right? (laughs) Yeah. He got kicked out of the riot house specifically for his love of dangling off balconies. 
I walked past this antique store the other day in Pasadena and in the front window was a huge poster of Jim Morrison and on it it said it's that pose where he's kind of like his arms are out yes, like Jesus it's the famous one uh, and it's a real photograph you know it's not like a painting and it says American poet oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I need to see who buys this because that would be hilarious. Uh, me in high school. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally me or my boyfriend in high school. Well, because someone said the other, a few weeks ago, they were like, he's so hot. He and was I was like, hot. he is really hot. He's really like the hot. doors get dunked on a lot. Here's, But he's undeniably really hot until he probably opens his mouth at a party or something. You're like, oh, get this guy away from me. Because he probably is someone who talks nonstop for sure. He's that guy. But he is very hot. He's very hot. I Here's what I don't understand. At some point in the last 15 years, I feel like everyone started hating on the doors and making fun of them. Right. I, at one time in my teen years, was like a doors stan, which I feel like a lot of teens get I think into the so, doors. Because the music is good. Yeah, the I'm music's sorry. good. It's, it's good. It's fun music. It's if you fun. haven't heard that style before, it's like the, the, the organ. It's very cool. The thing about the doors is it's like sometimes the fans of a thing is annoying. Yeah. It makes you not like the thing or something. Yeah. I think that's at play here because they worship him so much. It's kind of right. like that stuff is always easy to poke fun on. Like, I don't think he's like the best lyricist of all time. I don't think he's, he's no. obviously not the best singer. I think he's really hot and he's not, it's not like when I think about like, bands that are my favorite bands they're not even on the top 10 he's very hot he has something and he's also insufferable yeah so maybe he would have grown out of it at some point (laughs) but this is an insufferable guy we all know the super hot guy who thinks they're like a fucking genius right and it's just like no it's just like fuck or whatever or whatever like and he wants a lot of attention yes he wants to know that he read james joyce Right. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just like that type of guy. He wants, His, the bio on him is so good. We need to, and that was another thing where I was like, okay, when are we doing our Jim Morrison episode? Cause that'll be a fun one. I love that book so much when I read it. And I know yeah. there's some other ones that are really good. Yeah. He would be a fun episode. Totally. So Jim Morrison gets kicked out of the Hyatt house for dangling off of the balconies. He, this was a thing he liked to do was like dangle off of stuff. He had a death wish. <laughs> he loved dangling off shit. He called this like his Tarzan act. Ugh. Morrison resumed his wild parties at the Chateau. Okay. He's like, all right, I'm going to the Chateau now. Yeah. You don't want me at the Hyatt house? Fine. Going up the street. I'll get kicked out of here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> One time... The Chateau's maids discovered blood on the sheets and on the walls after a particularly raucous night. Damn. So I don't know what he was doing. You know he pisses into things. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like he, every time he stays there, he always like pisses in the planted, yes. the, the potted plants. Yes. yes. And they just like, ugh. He's a pisser. Just change them all. Because he gets drunk. His dick is just hanging out at some point, And it's just pissing with him not even thinking about it. It's just coming out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't know if you had a friend like this in high school, but I feel like at least in the kinds of people I hung out with, there was always one person in a group of friends, like a guy who would always, his dick would just end up out at the end of the night or at some point during the night. And it's just soft from being drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like my friend's boyfriend, his dick would always just like come out at the end of the night and he was really hot. So nobody minded. Right. But it was always like, 
At I, some point, though, you're kind of like, okay, come on. <laughs> like, I've seen that dick too much. <laughs> we all, I mean, it became just like a joke. Yeah. Like, yeah. it just became a joke. Like, oh, such and such's dick is out. Yeah. Uh, Kevin's dick is out. It's not his real name. It's always Kevin. It's, it, 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 that, it really wasn't his real name. But um, so I feel like Jim Morrison was that is that guy whose his dick just ends up. Oh, out. because he's never had anyone reject him sexually ever. Right. Too. So he just doesn't care. Like he yeah. has no self consciousness about his looks or body or women wanting him. Right. I think too. Yeah, uh, yeah, so I think it was just like out, like dang, not e- like he wouldn't even take off his leather pants. So it would just be dangling out of. Yeah. Them. Oh, totally. The dangling wiener. The da- <laughs> I, I could picture it. <laughs> <laughs> so Morrison decided he wanted to play Tarzan at the chateau. Oh no! But this time he suffered a fall. Watch out for that tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's George of the Jungle. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Remember, he tries to do the Tarzan thing and hits the tree. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, I did take an edible before. Does I'm so he? sorry. <laughs> I took half of one because I felt a little like uh, tension. I feel tension too. Yeah. So sorry, I just have to raw dog it. Well, you know what? <laughs> you so, got yours. <laughs> you just you finished it too quickly. I did. I did. I com- <laughs> I completed way too early. <laughs> So anyway, he climbed up onto the roof. He grabbed a hold of the rain gutter in an attempt to swing into his bedroom window. That is something that makes so much sense when you're drunk, (laughs) right? (laughs) You think you got it all figured out, right? (laughs) Did you ever get really injured when you were drunk? Um, I don't think I got real. I have a lot of minor injuries. Like I've fallen downstairs. Like when I remember wearing like these huge fucking platform clodhopper shoes and yeah. walking down a steep staircase into like a bar in Manhattan somewhere and just completely missing the slip <laughs> and sliding all the way down and just being like, I'm fine. And then waking up the next morning with like bruises <laughs> on my fucking hip and like that kind of stuff has happened to me a lot. Yeah. But nothing major, uh, super major. Yeah. I don't think yeah. you. Okay, so the girlfriend of the dick guy, she was my best friend in high school. And we got really drunk in Napa one night and decided to go streaking. Oh, right, the right, right. The streaking story. That story, yeah. We both ran into a ditch because it was so dark because it's Napa. <laughs> <laughs> and she, I ended up just suffering minor injuries, but she broke her, her ankle, but she oh, didn't God. feel it until the next day because oh, no. we were that wasted. Yeah. And so we we showed up. To, we had to. We were like in a play together, also. So we showed up to like the first day back at rehearsal, and the director sees her stumble in wearing a boot. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "You guys." <laughs> yeah. No, I've never had anything like that. But I mean, honestly, it's pure luck because I've definitely been stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, and I- I'm always wearing inappropriate shoes right. when I'm drinking, which is a bad combo. So. He eats shit. He fell two stories. <gasps> Damn. Did he land on like the, the cabana? The cabana? Like, <laughs> like, like how do you would, survive? <laughs> that would be so fun to bounce off one of those. I mean, like, it looks fun, but you know it's not going to be like that. You know, like in movies when the person falls and they fall onto like the awning. and they Or like a pillow truck rolls yeah. right, <laughs> right at that moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's always a pillow truck or an awning. 
Um, or like a garbage. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, he, so I think, he splatted on the cement. He splatted on the ground <laughs> and hurt himself. Um, he like met up with his fellow bandmates the next day and they're like, wow, we didn't think he would act. He actually got hurt this time. Yeah. It, it happened. I'm sure he kept swinging. From I windows. would love to have seen this. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, you know who else used to like to act like Tarzan is Eddie Vedder. I can see that. Eddie Vedder back in like the early days of their fame, Pearl Jam's fame. I've just heard stories. I've never been to a Pearl Jam concert. I bet but- you a lot of people hear things that have been done in the past, like him doing that and also want to do it. Yeah. Eddie Vedder would like swing from the rafters apparently. I mean, I've always thought it would be fun to swing, but I just don't have any arm strength. Like, I can't hold on to the rope. <laughs> I would slide down so fast. My hands get sweaty really easily. Right. Like, maybe if I wore gloves or there was a knot <laughs> for my feet to sit on. Like, I, it's not that I've, I, I've definitely thought about it a lot because it does look really fun, but I, I, don't, I can't hold myself on a rope. It's hard. It is hard. It is hard. So... Uh, this is an unrelated story, but we had to include it. The following, oh. the, <laughs> I have the, my segues. This is how rusty. Oh, it. that's well, a segue. This is a segue, <laughs> but we had to do it. <laughs> I'm gonna say my writing in in only the span of a month has declined severely. Really? Well, you know what? You also really didn't do a July episode because I did three George Michaels. I'm sorry, June. You're right. So it's almost two months probably. I've had two months off from writing a story. So I'm like... Right. And before that you had COVID. Oh. So it's been over two months. All right. So now I don't feel as Yeah. See? Look, I'm rusty, you guys. Wait, let's see what time we're at and then maybe I'll get back to that story. Maybe it's time for a break. Yeah, just take a break. Okay. We're going to take a break. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals, and during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th, Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. 
With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. In 1971... Actor Bud Court oh, of Harold and Maude fame. Yeah, I love him. He was living at the Chateau. How old was he? And was this he was like 1970? 71. 71. God, probably. Yeah. He's probably really young. So following the film's release, Harold and Maude stands stalked the actor at the chateau because you know it's like a bunch of weird goth girls oh my god can you imagine and they're like i want to fuck bud court i'll go to a funeral with you (laughs) (laughs) so his stands would leave him creepy gifts outside of his room oh my god the gifts included pictures of dead babies mini coffins and gravestones Exactly as we suspected. Exactly as we... That's the, that's the whole story. That's so creepy. He, he must have been so bored with yeah. all of that stuff. Because he probably got right? it all the time with all these girls who were like, I'm weird. I'm going to send you a coffin. Do you know what's really weird? I went to look and see how old Bud Court is. Yeah. Uh, and his birth date or an age are not on his Wikipedia. What? Isn't that crazy? I've never seen that before. Like, at least sometimes if they don't know, they have like a range sometimes. Right. But he was in Harold and Maude in 1971. So that had just come out when this uh, is happening, obviously. Uh, And I don't know how old he was. I mean, I think he was older than he looked. Yes. Right? He looked like very, like a teenager in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure he was like a little bit older. I think he was like 20. Okay, so now I'm seeing he was born in 1948. So yeah, he would have been like 22 or right. 21 when he filmed it. That makes sense. Uh, let's go back a few years. Okay. In 1967, a year after the Chateau was put up for auction as it changed ownership once again, the Los Angeles Times published a piece titled Chateau, Last Elegance on the Strip. The authors, or the article's author, a woman named Barbara Wilkins, wrote, quote, Only the Chateau Marmont, a residential hotel for movie stars and royalty, is left as a reminder that Hollywood was once grand. Mm. The piece talked about how, although the hotel is still famous for its, ser- for its service to Hollywood elites, the service itself has changed since its opening. There are no longer butlers and servants to attend to the guests unless they bring their own. By the- <laughs> Do I have to bring my own butler? <laughs> <laughs> By the time of this 1967 article, guests were only offered a continental breakfast. Mm. So they often ordered food to be sent from the Sunset Marquee or from a place called Chicken Delight. <laughs> 
Ooh. Now I was like, what the hell is Chicken Delight? (laughs) So I had to look it up. Chicken Delight was a chain restaurant. I feel like I can see the sign. Like I've seen that image or something. Ooh. That looks good, doesn't it? It's just a fried chicken place. It's just a fried chicken joint. Dude, I would love to get a bucket of that at Chateau Marmont. So it says... Served in di- disposable heat seal plates. Just open and eat. Ideal for family gatherings, outdoor barbecue, unexpected guest parties, or as a kitchen holiday for mom. Ask about our special party service. Chicken Delight. This is what you can order for $1.39. You can get a half special grown chicken. Special grown? That's what it says. <laughs> special gr- Wait. Special half special grown chicken, French fries, mm. cranberry sauce, and a muffin. Nice. You can get it for ninety nine cents for junior appetites. Called that's the, not me. <laughs> that's not me. I do not have a junior appetite. The rib delight, Ooh. barbecue loin ribs, French fries, hot sauce, and a muffin. You can get a bucket o chicken, a shrimp delight. That's jumbo <gasps> Gulf shrimp. Nice. French fries, shrimp sauce, and a muffin. What kind of muffin is it? Like <laughs> cornbread or something? I I have no idea. Is it I feel a- like this was muffins before muffins became what we know no, of. No, there's a picture today. of it. It's a blueberry muffin. Oh my god! Look, look at this on the plate. Oh yeah, it, look, that looks like a blueberry muffin. That's such a weird That's combo. So weird fish delight, which is like fried fish, a la carte. Options are coleslaw, French fries, bucket of shrimp, bucket of ribs. You can get this a- is my type of food. I have to say, this sounds delicious. I want. I mean, I. I wonder what happened to it. Oh, look at yeah. I feel like I've seen this bucket. It's kind of iconic. Yeah, it's like orange and yellow. Yeah. Anyway, mm. so uh, since in 1967, the guests were forced to order from Chicken Delight. I'm sure they were like, oh, well, got to get Chicken Delight. (laughs) What else can I do? (laughs) Though the LA Times piece proclaimed the Chateau the last bit of Hollywood glamour, it had been falling apart for some time. (gasps) It was so dramatic. In 1974, the actress Carol Lindley described her time living there. She said, it's run by eccentrics for eccentrics. The apartment dwellers range from mafia types to nice old ladies to Filipinos. It's the kind of place where something gets broken and stays broken for 40 years. The one nice thing about it is you never have to worry about damaging anything. Hmm. I like that description where something stays broken for 40 years. That's very specific. It's it's very specific. Uh, Silent film actress Myrna Loy, she stayed at the hotel around this time in the 60s. Oh. And she sat on a chair and it broke while she, while she was sitting in it. That's how shitty the furniture yeah, was. Yeah, because she's probably like 90 pounds. Yeah. Or something. And this chair broke out from under her. Uh. So shit in the hotel was a literally pieced together with tape. I mean, even today it has that... I know it's all finely made furniture and expensive, but it has that kind of shabby design aesthetic. Yeah. Like, it looks like antiques. Right. And at this time, it was sort of on the borderline where it was like, all right, this place has become kind of a dump. Right. So the ceiling sometimes would rain plaster down on the guests in their mm, bedrooms. Not good. Like they needed to like do a little bit more. Yeah. The chateau was prone to having things stolen from random people just walking in off the street. Oh. 
In fact, in the 70s, Susan Sarandon had her luggage stolen from her room while she was sleeping. That's creepy. Yeah. The chateau had gone from shabby bohemian to straight up seedy at this point. It was sort of like, all right, guys. Yeah. Like, keep keep the boho aesthetic and the, like, antique, eclectic mix, whatever. But not too boho. Yeah, but not like, <laughs> but like fixed stuff. Yeah. A little bit. The chateau would once again go up for sale. In 1975, it was bought by a development firm called Sarlat Can. Cantargian for $1 million. Wow, that's cheap. According to Raymond Sarlat, one of the firm's co-owners, the bank was ready to foreclose. Bills hadn't been paid in months, and the building was in total disrepair. The place looked like a dungeon. Following the purchase of the chateau, Sarlat would himself move in as he was going through a divorce. He stayed there for five years. He spent that time undergoing a massive renovation project on the dilapidated hotel. Though the renovations were extensive, the old charm of the place would remain. The furniture was replaced with newly purchased antique pieces. The lighting and carpeting was replaced. They drained the pool and restored it. The landscaping was torn up and replanted. The dirty walls were repainted. It was a massive upgrade while still keeping the beloved character of the hotel. I, I think that's cool that they weren't like, we're going to make this modern. Yeah, let's keep it what it was. Yeah, they kept like the same vibe. They just made it nicer. I think that's smart uh, in old Hollywood, like Hollywood stuff, keeping old Hollywood stuff that look. Yeah, yeah. people like that. Although, it, like And that. it very easily could have been people who didn't agree with us, though, because that happens right. all the time. All the time. Yeah. In 1976, the chateau was declared a historical historic cultural monument. So what that means is what we were just saying, that developers can't just renovate oh, good. and make it some big glass box. Yes. So they have to... Keep the historical look of it. Yeah. Like if they make any reno- re- renovations, it has to go through like approvals. Right. And they, it's usually keeping things accurate mm-hmm. to the period. Yeah. So... Here's a great segue. After Roman Polanski's 1977 arrest for sexually assaulting then 13-year-old Samantha Gailey, he checked in to the chateau while he was out on bail. Oh. We've done, I think, a two-part episode on Roman Polanski. Right. So I'm not going to get into all of that, but we did a very extensive episode on him. So he checks into the hotel while he's out on bail. He wanted the privacy. Obviously, he had become persona non grata right? everywhere in Hollywood. During the next few months, he would hide out in his room at the chateau, but he invited guests over who said that he went on long rants about the criminal justice system. He had been effectively <clears throat> barred from any kind of a social life in Los Angeles, so he made friends with the chateau's parking attendants. Of course, his stay would not be for very long as he fled to Europe early the following year, where he remains to this day. I wonder why he didn't go back to his house. Maybe it was like a crime scene or something. I don't think he wanted anything to do. Yeah. Oh, not, I'm thinking that's Ciela Drive. No, where he lived, where he assaulted her. Oh, right. Oh, was that Jack Nicholson's house? It was a Jack Nicholson's house. Yeah, okay. I forgot that it wasn't his house. There was so much to his story, I like couldn't even remember. Right, because it was like 
let's start in the Holocaust. Like it was literally that because that's where he starts. Like his story starts basically. That's why I'm pretty sure it was a two-part episode. Yeah, because he has a lot of huge, you know, crime or traumatic whatever events in his life. Yeah, It's a big, long story. So anyway, go listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Another... Famous. Well, I mean, look, these are all famous guests we're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. Here's um, a guy. His name is Bob from Missouri. <laughs> Rick James. Oh. He was now al- we can talk about cocaine. Now we can talk about <laughs> cocaine. He was also a one-time resident of the Chateau. And yes, we will be doing a Rick James episode. Oh, my God. Yeah. We'll probably have to do that this year. I think it would be fun. I think we should this year. The legendary musician known for his hard partying... OD'd multiple times in his bungalow, and he had to be revived by his entourage. <laughs> During his stay at the Chateau, James was having an affair with Jan Gay, who was Marvin Gaye's ex-wife. Oh. Um, Marvin himself was no stranger to the hotel. He stayed there many times. He also liked to party and fuck at the Chateau. Oh, he racked up... <laughs> <laughs> and we will do an episode on Marvin Gaye. He's it's on my list every year, and I just never got to it for whatever it's reason. It's too big. It's I just so love big. him too. I know he's just so. We want to we want to do Marvin Gaye justice. He racked up a fifteen thousand dollar fifteen thousand dollars in charges at the hotel, which the owners said he never paid. <sighs> they tried to collect it from his estate when he was tragically murdered in 1984, but to no avail, they, they ended up just letting the matter go. Cause they're like, we don't want to be the guys who sue Marvin Gaye. Yeah. After he was murdered. It's tacky. It's super tacky. Tony Randall and his wife stayed at the Chateau while he filmed several of his shows, including the odd couple, him and his wife, both like to sunbathe naked <gasps> outside of their bungalow. Not Tony Randall. Tony Randall. <laughs> Like to whip his dick out. Wow. Quite possibly one of the most famous residents of the Chateau Marmont, I think, would be John Belushi. Absolutely. I think a lot of people who haven't been to Los Angeles or don't know, like they know the Chateau, they associate it with John Belushi. I mean, that's probably how I first heard of it in a way. Just like... Not that I remember him dying, but like afterwards hearing the story, it was like at the Chateau Marmont. I was like, oh, yeah. So on February 28th, 1982, John Belushi had been staying at the Chateau for about a month. He had stayed in room 69 and room 54 before finally settling into Bungalow 3. Belushi had been working on a new film script during his stay. He had a variety of meetings with other writers, his friends, and film execs to discuss the script, which he was struggling with. Paramount was unsatisfied with the script, and his and the then boss of Paramount, Michael Eisner, came by to convince him to take up a new project. But by this time, Belushi was quickly spiraling further into his drug and alcohol addiction. This was evident not only by his appearance, which was really bad, but by his trashed room and just his overall scattered behavior and right. unpredictable whatever. He was a mess. Belushi's wife, Judy, and his best friend, Dan Aykroyd, desperately wanted him to get back to New York City and like leave the chateau. But sadly, he didn't. Again, we will be doing a full episode on John Belushi at some point. So I'm just going to run through this sort of... 
briefly, yeah. I'm not going to get into like all the details, but on the night of March 4th, 1982, Robert De Niro and Harry Dean Stanton had been calling Belushi, trying to get him to come out with them, but they couldn't get a hold of him. They drove to the chateau where they found Belushi in his bungalow looking like absolute shit. He was surrounded by pizza boxes and empty bottles and dirty laundry. There was a woman named Kathy in the room with him. And both Belushi and this bungalow were just trashed. Yeah. John Belushi told the guys, go out without me and then come back later and hang out with me at the bungalow. So a few hours after that, Robin Williams stopped by the bungalow. They're all friends to see John Belushi. So the pair hung out for a bit, did some cocaine, and then Robin Williams left. Robin Williams later recalled being really creeped out just by being in that bungalow. Like, it was just creepy, the vibe. Robert De Niro came back soon after and did some coke with John Belushi. De Niro went back to his own room at the hotel at around 3 a.m., Room service came at 8 a.m. on the morning of the 5th, and Kathy had some breakfast while John slept. She left soon after. Later, at around noon, Belushi was discovered by his personal trainer, Bill Williams. He attempted to do CPR on the unresponsive Belushi, but it was too late. John Belushi had died of a cocaine and heroin overdose. Not long after, guests of the chateau saw the paramedics and the police arriving at the hotel lobby. The Chateau's general manager, Suzanne Girgirian, wasn't at the hotel when all this went down, so she returned to a barrage of reporters and police, and she was like, what the hell? Yeah. What the hell's going on here? Co-owner Raymond Scarlett was having lunch in Beverly Hills when the news broke, so he rushed back to the Chateau, and when he arrived... He recalled the frantic scene, saying the hotel was, quote, swarming with outsiders, the switchboard lit up. Robert De Niro was among the many people calling the front desk, just trying to get information about what's going on. He did finally speak to the manager, Suzanne, who broke the tragic news to him. Raymond Scarlett quickly secured the hotel from looky-loos and reporters. A police barricade was set up to block non-guests from entering. Unfortunately, one reporter did slip through and made his way up to Robert De Niro's suite. Oh, my God. To, like interrogate him like oh yeah. you know John Belushi's dead like he was banging on his door and Robert De Niro is obviously like sobbing yeah like really upset and he's grieving uh this guy this was like live tv too this guy had a camera Ugh. the next day Belushi's manager Bernie Brillstein was allowed to pick up Belushi's belongings from his room Brillstein said of bungalow three The scene was not only depressing, it was depraved. I couldn't believe John had lived there. I mean, it was like a hoarder situation in his bungalow with like garbage and old food, bottles, plates. After a deep clean of the bungalow, Raymond Scarlett decided to redo the whole thing. They put in new furniture. They changed the decor. They like moved things around. Right. Because to him, he said, we didn't want this unit to become a cult symbol. Right. They just wanted to like, whatever. That it obviously didn't stop people from booking Bungalow 3. Right. Specifically. So like lots of people have, it's a, obviously a very famous bungalow. Bob Woodward 
released his controversial biography of John Belushi in 1984, which drew the ire of Belushi's friends and family for portraying the late comedian as nothing more than a degenerate rather than focus on his artistic brilliance. Raymond Scarlett took umbrage with the book for a different reason. The Chateau was described as a seedy hotel. (laughs) He was like, how dare you? This costs like $200 a night. Yeah. How dare you call this a smirch? This hotel's name. He was so he was did not give a shit about what they said about John Belushi. He didn't. He didn't know the guy, but he was like, "How dare you say this on the book jacket? (laughs) On the book jacket." So him and co-owner Carl Cantargian filed a suit against the book's publisher. Oh damn, Simon and Schuster. This matter was settled, and the description of the hotel. Of on the book's jacket was subsequently changed. Now, following Belushi's death, the hotel became known as a landmark of hedonism to people outside of Hollywood. Bungalow 3 became especially infamous, and it's one of Hollywood's many haunted sites. Yeah. I mean, famous, whenever you look up haunted Hollywood, Bungalow 3 is always on the list. In fact, we had a very old episode that I believe we did for pay. It's on our Patreon where we talked about haunted Hollywood locations. Yes. So we've talked about the Hollywood sign, bungalow three, the Roosevelt, the comedy store store, among many others. That was a good episode. Yeah. So bungalow three is among those. According to Dan Aykroyd in an interview that he did just a few years ago with the Hollywood reporter, Al Franken claims, this is what he said, quote, Al Franken claims he went there a week after my late partner John died in Bungalow 3 and John appeared to him. And Franken's pretty skeptical, but he's also quite serious. He saw a vision of him. Now, of course, skeptics would say, hypnagogic sleep. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you're dreaming. We welcome the skeptical view. I've stayed in the Marmont a few times, and I've never had anything happen. Isn't Dan Aykroyd like a aliens guy? Yeah, pretty big one. Yeah. So he's not a he's not a skeptic, as far he, as I know. He's not a skeptic, right? No, he believes in um, some off the wall shit. Yeah, like some Definitely. unexplained events. Absolutely. So yeah, Desi, do you have anything to add? I just wanted to add. One thing, I think I mentioned a while ago that I was watching um, a movie called um, The Offer about the making of The Godfather. And the producer of that movie, who was played by Miles Teller in the movie, his name is Albert Ruddy, he married a woman, um, Francoise, who owned the chateau during the 70s. I think her husband was one of the buyers and she like got control of it in a divorce briefly, like in their divorce. So she was sort of the owner. I just thought that was interesting. Rachel's staring at me like this is the most boring piece of information I've ever heard. No, no, I was no, I was actually doing the algebra lady in my head because in the story, I mentioned how the guy, Raymond Scarlett, was going through a divorce when he purchased. Yeah, I wonder if she's the wife, because that's how she got it, through a divorce. She was married to some really rich guy before she met Albert. Oh. And then the other interesting thing about her is she she got involved. She's like this French woman who married into <laughs> money, got the chateau, and then at some point, obviously, she didn't own that. But she 
she was like the secretary after Ma Anand Sheila in Wild Wild Country for that guy, that cult. Oh. She got involved in that cult later on. Whoa. Which I thought was really wild. Because I looked her up when I was watching the offer. I was like, who is this woman? Because she seemed really cool. And I, I think you had maybe talked about doing the Chateau. So I was like, oh, she owned it. But it wasn't a lot of information about her ownership, but it's a bigger deal in the offer. Yeah. Uh, and then I looked her up and I saw that information about her being in that cult. And I just thought that was a crazy connection. But it also seems very LA. Yeah. Like you're rich and then you get involved in some wild, weird cult. Right. Because you're trying to be spiritual at the same time. <laughs> <clears throat> that but is yeah. a weird connection. Yeah. So I definitely have a book and I plan on doing the making of the Godfather at some point, hopefully Perfect. soon. Cause it is a really wild story. Yeah. There's lots of mob action in it. Maybe yeah. I'll do it next week. Okay. Um, it's really, it's really interesting though. So I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Maybe. Well, Desi, how was my first show back? Great. I mean, I think it's a good one to get back into. Yeah. With we'll we'll continue because obviously I want to touch on some more 1980s stories, some 90s stories, and of course, you know, the 2000s. Oh yeah, they had like a whole new heyday. It had a whole new heyday. So we will we will return not next week, but we no. will return. With part three of Chateau Marmont. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll post some pics. We'll post. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Pictures on our Instagram, and we're going to record our after show, which is available on our Patreon. So subscribe if you'd like to listen to that. Bye. Bye.